You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, one and all, to episode 63 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. I am the aforementioned Pimp Cron, and this is my podcast. I thought I already made that clear. What are we talking tonight about to you? Man, that was terrible. I have the start collecting of the Anvil Guard, and I review that and tell you whether or not I like it. Then we get into some touchy territory talking about skin tones. We get an email from, I believe his name was Garrett, and he was asking some advice on painting different skin tones of different races. And that's when I told him I don't see race because I'm colorblind, and he didn't believe me, so I sent him a picture of every single flesh-toned person that I have ever painted, and they're all in shades of gray. So the joke is on him. Actually, we talk about different paint schemes for skin tones. Then we also have a real talk with the Pimpcron, and we discuss should you support your friendly local gaming store. To some people, this is going to be a very simple answer, but there is a pretty complex problem behind it in some cases, and I figured I should at least share with you what I have done in the past and what I think you should do. And that is my role here. I tell you how to live. And don't you think I won't judge you for it if you don't listen to me. So, this is the part of the show where I talk about what I've been up to, and it's been painting a whole lot of Shorehammer terrain, which we do every year. We paint a lot of terrain, and it's getting bigger and bigger, which is awesome. And I played a... So, the the guy that I played last week in 40k, he wanted a rematch. We played like 1,500 points of Chaos vs. Space Wolves last week. And he did not get to run his ignorant-ass giant knight with the harpoon, whatever that thing is called now. The Lord Titan something, I don't know, Smash something. And that thing is pretty disgusting. But the um, this this game was 2,000 points this week. And I played my, Thunder, uh, my Space Wolf squats again. And he got to play that big knight. And it was a very, very good game because I did not take any point reduction this week like I, I did last week. Uh, it was 1,500 points. I think I think I took 1,200 last week. And um, because he's a new-ish player. But when he took this night, I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to take a full points because I think I'm going to need it. And sure enough, I did. Luckily, I was able to deal with the night. We played on a 6x4 board and we had four different objectives and then one in each deployment. And... We ended up tying, at the end of the game, 20 points to 20 points. I would have won, but I decided to remind him he could easily get Linebreaker. So I did, and then he did, and we tied 20 to 20. And it was surprisingly a really good game, but boy, did that night... That night was not only terrifying, but it wrecked my Stormwolf on turn one. But the good news is, I already had eight Terminators in the hold of the Stormwolf, and I flew it right in his face. And my three Storm Shields in that unit did some work. I gotta tell you that much. It uh, I was able to pretty much tie up that Titan all game. I mean, he, he can just step away and still shoot an assault whenever he wants. So I'm not physically tying him up. But what I was able to do is just distract him, honestly. He really wanted to go after my Warlord, which I kept away from him. And he did get one shot off on the Warlord at one point. But he wasn't able to kill him. And 
that was really a good game. Um, so I, I still think that Imperial Knights are insurance for bad players, and this just helps uh, support my theory because, you know, I can take a discount in points against him normally, and we have a good game, and I help him, or I take full points, and he takes a stupid freaking knight, and I helped him a little bit, but he essentially, you know, we we tied under normal terms. Um, he made a couple key mistakes that um, I did not, you know, fix. I just let him make his dis- mistakes. He uh, deep struck a Terminator Lord or something from Chaos, and he deep struck it in his own deployment zone, which I'm like, good God, do you not listen to my podcast? You don't ever deep strike something in your own deployment zone because then you should have just deployed it to begin with. But he did that, and uh, he could have easily messed with some of my objectives across the board, but those Terminators held up against, uh, like, four rounds of combat, outnumbered 5-1 to by cultists, and they got assaulted twice by that giant knight, and they were tanking 3-up saves. I'm not lying to you, they were doing amazing. And my Thunder Bear Cavalry, um, yes, you heard that right, I have Thunder Bear Cavalry, they're riding bears, not wolves, and my Thunder Bear Cavalry did great. They um, just pushed people aside all over the board, and I was able to really control the board. Even though he had that giant knight, I was able to psychologically keep him occupied. So uh, that knight with the harpoon, a lot of the stuff is like 12 or 18 inches, and it's got that flame cannon. Oh my god, what is that, 3d6 automatic hits or something stupid? It's like a crazy amount of shots, and they're 2 damage. I think it's, it's uh, minus 2 AP and 2 damage. So that's what killed the Stormwolf. The Stormwolf just flew into a wall of fire. But my Terminators were able to just stand in his way, and he let me do it. He let me interfere with him, and he never did get across the field like he wanted to. And meanwhile, my Thunderwolf Cavalry was just forcing everyone to go every which way, and they they did pretty well. So I was I enjoyed that game a lot more because I was able to, to really try and I think the knight helped even things up for him. So, But that knight is no joke. Not lying at all. That knight is serious business. But it was fun. At this point, I would like to take just a moment and thank all of my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling patrons on the Pimpcron Dynasty on Patreon. Starting with the Gold Trim Scarabs, we have Brendan. Followed by the Funky Warriors, LT... Nate R, Tom R, and Mandy W. Then we have the Badass Cryptex, Andy B, and Colin M. And finally, we have our mother flippin' lord, the king of the mountain, Mike C. Yep. So thank you very much, everybody, for uh, listening to the show and supporting me and supporting the show. And it's a great feeling when people actually appreciate what you do. It takes a lot of time to write articles each week. It takes a lot of time to do the podcast each week, and I just truly, truly appreciate all of your love and your support. So let's get on with the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. And in this edition of the Tesseract mailbox, we have a message via pimpcron at gmail.com from Garrett. And Garrett says, Hey, this is Garrett. 
Well, that was a coincidence. Hey, this is Garrett. I listen to your show on the bus going to work each Monday, so thanks for that. Makes my 40-minute commute a bit easier. Hey, you were asking for letters the other week, and it's taken me a while to send you one, but I have a real hobby issue. After year of painting... I guess it's after years of painting orcs, I have started an Astra Militarum army, but I don't... think I was ready for the amount of flesh on these guys. I have tried several different base and wash combos and can't find one I like. Also, I'm having a hard time painting darker skin tones. In theory, I'd like my squads to be very mixed in skin tones. Really struggling choosing the right colors. Help! Garrett B.H. So, first off, thank you for messaging in at pimpchronogmail.com, Garrett, and you can also reach me on the phone number, or you can also reach me at facebook.com slash pimpchron, and let's get to it. So, first off, thank you for listening, and listening on the bus. Uh, So, you have an issue with painting skin tones. Well, that really is a matter of opinion as far as what colors you want to use. Personally... Um, you have to, now, first off, we're going to be talking about skin tones. If you're triggered by skin tone talk, what the hell are you doing listening to this podcast? Honestly. So this is, uh, nothing to do with race. This is skin tones. And, um, so let's talk about white people first, right? Your generic, uh, run of the mill garden variety Caucasian. We tend to range from pale skinned to, you know, um, not in the browns, but more in the peaches, um, sometimes even orange Caucasians can be, and not like Jersey Shore orange, but you know what I mean, in that, in that peachy, orangey skin tone variety, so what I will often use for pale people is Rackarth flesh with a Nuln oil wash and then dry brush Rackarth flesh, again, over the, the upper recesses. Now, this may be a little too pale for your average ginger, but it works well for, like, <laughs> this is going to sound mean. This well works well for the undead. It works well for vampires and things like that. Um, but I know that sounds kind of mean. And uh, now, gingers, in my opinion, would be one of the harder ones to do. So I have less knowledge of doing a living, breathing ginger than I would a, um, you know, like a vampire, because I have a whole vampire army. And the Rackarth flush with the Nuln Oil Wash and the Dry Brush Rackarth does great. You might want to add just a little bit of pink into that, maybe mixing in a Cadian flush tone or something like that to give it a little bit, you know, slightly liver skin tone, a tone a little bit peachier. Um, so as for the average Caucasian person, I usually use Kislev flesh or Kislev flesh. And uh, that used to be Elf flesh in the old one and that comes out as a nice pale um i guess peach it's like a a light 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 tan and that works really well if you use kislev flesh and then you wash that with seraph and sepia that is usually what i do the um you'll notice that the um rackarth flesh is in the white gray kind of scale so i use null oil and then the kislev flesh is in the brown so i use seraph and sepia now, you can, I don't usually re-dry brush over the faces, honestly, because Kislev Flesh is kind of, um, it, it's a little too pale than what I like. I like to do, like, average, medium, you know, skin tone people. If you wanted to lighten it up a little bit, you would dry brush back over Kislev Flesh after washing. 
I don't usually take the time to do that. All of my white people have just a slight bit of tan from the Seraph and Sepia. Um, that is basically all you have to do. Um, you know, you could take, like, um, if you're getting into, let's say, some of the um, South American skin tones or things like that, you, they get into a slightly more orange, like a browner. It's not quite brown like a, a black person, but it is, you know, a more golden color, I think. And um, you could talk about, like, Mediterranean people, or you could talk about, you know, um, Central America or South America, things like that. And a lot of times, I will use Scrag Brown for that, and then wash it with Seraph and Sepia. Because, once again, it's in the brown range, and then you're washing it with another brown. If that does not pick out the highlights well enough for you, then you might think about doing Nuln Oil, and then you might have to bring up the color again with Scrag Brown. As for the darker skin tones, once you start getting into, like, African descent and things like that, I find that Mornfang Brown is a really good brown to use, and it is a really nice medium brown, and that also takes to washing pretty well. If you want a light highlight, once again, Seraph and Sepia. If you want a dark highlight, the Nuln Oil, but you may have to bring it back up. Now, if you're talking about actual black people, such as, like, Salamanders, of course, you would paint them exactly... Uh, the Salamanders chapter, obviously, they're not African people. They are literally, like, ebony, black, jet black skin people. And uh, I would just paint them like I would paint anything black, which my trick, my lazy trick, is I already prime my stuff black. I dry brush it with a really dark gray, like Dawn Stone or something like that. And then I wash it in all oil again, which knocks that gray down. And then you get the fine highlights of all the gray on the black. Um, so... That is essentially my suggestions for uh, skin tone. And um, if you, I almost left out like Asian skin tones. If you wanted to do Asian skin tones, I think I would still stick with the Kislev Flesh, but I would maybe not wash it. Or if you do wash it, be sure to bring it back up again. Um, and, you know, of course, there's all kinds of, you could, I personally would ex explore with a couple different um, you might be able to use a uh, Karak stone that used to be, I think it's Kaneb, what was it? Uh, Commando Khaki, I think it was, it used to be. And now it's called Karak stone. And that's like a tan, that's almost a skin color, but it might become a skin color once you uh, wash it with, you know, a Seraph and Sepia or a Reichlin Flush Shade or something like that. So what you ultimately want to do, and this is what I do, is I dry brush one color on the head first, the base color, which is your Kislev flesh or whatever. But I like to leave the harsh, stark lines, like where the lips part, I like to leave a black line. Or a lot of times I never paint eyes because these models are far too little and I do a tabletop standard. So what I'll do is I'll leave a little bit of actual darkness, like where the eyes are, you know, under the brow, something like that. And uh, then I wash it, and then a lot of times I will bring it back up with that same color. So I'm not much one for mixing colors or anything like that, so I use just right out of the pot colors. You might find a mixture that you enjoy, but these are the things that I do, and they work fine. Um, so thanks again for writing in, Garrett. Want that, or want that not? Oh boy, look what time it is. It's a want that or want that not with the Pempcron, and today we are covering... Oh my gosh, what is this? A new start collecting? 
Oh boy, I love start collecting boxes. It's the Anvil Guard. Now, I uh, have not really looked at the rules for these models. Um, this is not what this is about. It depends on whether or not I like these models. So, pipe down, Buttercup, okay? So, for $100, which, ugh, $100 is a little pricey for start collecting, but I'm certain it's still at a discount. The $100 gets you one Black Arc Fleet Master, a skilled and deadly commander to lead your forces. Ooh. And he's a pretty cool model. You also get 10 Black Arc Corsairs. They're fast-moving and versatile raiders armed with your choice of blades or repeater handbows. Wow. Then there's a Charybdis, a terrifying, regenerating monstrosity that can also be assembled as a War Hydra. Finally, you get a Scourge Runner Chariot, a rapid-striking, monster-slaying chariot that can only, I mean, also, oops, also be built as a heavily armored Drake Spawn Chariot. Now, keep in mind that none of these are new models. These models have been around for a while, but boy, do they hold up pretty well, actually. So the Fleet Master is pretty freaking sweet. He's a Dark Elf who is a pirate, and he has a sword for a peg leg. That's pretty badass. Unfortunately, he is a monopose model, so he is snapped together in a very particular way, and it's slightly harder to kitbash him. You can still kitbash him, but he's slightly harder. Uh, all in all, he looks pretty cool. The Black Arc Corsairs I have year used for years as my racks for my Dark Eldar, and I love these models. These models, of course, are from the old world. These have been around for a little while, but they hold up beautifully. They are thin and nimble, just as you'd assume. The swords look really cool. There's one guy that's holding two swords up, and he's crossing them, like, come at me, mofo. That's pretty cool. Um, I really like their capes. They have, like, um, a scaly cape to them, which I like. And all in all, I mean, I often thought that I should make vampire infantry out of them and that's what i did for my dark eldar army that is really vampires in space and they look too cool i mean they're they're very spiky and they've got like i guess dragon-esque things on them and of course i painted mine red black and silver so they look very blood oriented and i just love these models i've loved them for a long time so that is definitely a cool thing. The Charybdis is this giant, multi-headed monster. And I know it also makes the War Hydra, but I'm not covering that because that's not what's pictured in here. And the Charybdis is awesome. It's got a dude with a chain and a whip behind it, and he's, you know, ushering it on. And it is one of the models that I've looked at for a long time and thought, wow, this is pretty cool. I want to get one of these. Uh, I never played Dark Elves, so maybe now is a nice time to start Anvil Guard, because the Charybdis is awesome. I think it can also be a um, uh, battle line with the with the proper HQ, which is crazy. And finally, what's the last thing that we have? The last thing is a Scourge Runner Chariot. And this is pretty cool. I've never actually taken much look at it before. Um, it's never been something that was really on my radar, but it's a pretty cool looking model. And... It is two people on the back of a single-wheeled chariot, and that's a pretty cool design, honestly. The single giant wheel is a pretty neat thing I've never seen before in a chariot. The two horses really look like they're running, which is pretty awesome because it's a chariot, and they should be running. God, I didn't think I'd spell that out for you. And they've got harpoons and the crossbow, and I mean, 
there's nothing inherently Age of Sigmar about it. It literally could be elves for anything, but it's pretty cool. And I have a soft spot for chariots. I don't know why, but I have a soft spot for chariots. I got a bunch of them for my Tomb Kings, and I have a bunch of them for my um, uh, Bloodbound. So this is pretty much it for the set. It's $100. It does come with a giant monster, which is nice. And honestly, it seems to me like this is coming with a little bit more than normal. Maybe I'm crazy. But when I think of like my Caradron Overlords, they came with the Grunstock Gunhauler and five Grunstock Thunders and three Bubble Boys and then an Arcanaut Admiral or Endrin Rigger. And here comes with ten Black Arc Corsairs and a Chariot and a Fleet Master, and a Charybdis, which is a monster. So, you know, this is a slightly higher price point at $100, but honestly, this does not seem like a bad deal at all, given that that Charybdis is probably $60 or $70 itself normally. So I am definitely, I want this, and I've always kind of flirted with the idea of having a Dark Elf army anyway. I don't even know what they're called now, but they used to be Dark Elves. And the... um. I already have several of the models, so why not go all in, right? This is how people get addicted to this hobby. You should watch yourself, um, especially with this sexy new Cities of Sigmar book where everything's everything's buddy and everything's just getting together and partying on your tabletop. So this is definitely a want that for me, uh, and I think that you should all buy four. That is the decree from the Pimpcron, buy four of this box set. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. What's going on, Jive Turkeys? This is Real Talk with the Pimp Cron, and it is time again for me to descend from my snowy mountaintop and drop a serious question right on your faces. Okay? Should we support our friendly local gaming stores financially? Okay, this might be a no... Actually, it's probably a no-brainer to all of you, because... You are in one camp or you're in the other camp, more than likely. But here is the issue. For those of us who are lucky enough to have a friendly local gaming store, it is... Well, maybe I should say FLGS. No, that's even harder. So, <laughs> friendly local gaming store. It is a great place to hang out. You play pickup games and you meet friends and everything. And of course, if we're being honest, they provide a very important service for our community. That's exactly what a friendly local gaming store is. It's a community. And all these people, not only, you know, you go in there with a shared interest, but sometimes you pick up new players from by cross-pollinating all of your different interests. So you might pick up some magic players into 40k or 40k into magic or hero clicks or whatever. And the nice thing about a gaming store is they provide us with an important service, which is giving us a place to play our games and host our tournaments and just in general hang out. And of course you can play by yourself, but this game is primarily a two or more person thing. So you always need a community of players, and God knows some players are harder to play against than others for various reasons, whether they're whack players or they just suck or they're irritating personality or whatever. So it's really good to have a nice pool of players. And where do you get that? You get that at your friendly local gaming store. You know what else we do at a friendly local gaming store? Well, hopefully for them, we buy stuff at our friendly local gaming store. These stores 
have rent and mortgage and employees and products to stock and electric bill and liability insurance and workers' comp and uh, property insurance and, I mean, you name it, taxes. These places sometimes struggle keeping their head above water. If you run any sort of business, whether you're a manager or an owner or whatnot, or you have a side hustle or whatever, you may have an idea of just how much cost is involved in doing business. So these places provide us several different services, and hopefully people are buying things at their establishment so they can keep their doors open. It's healthy for the community, it's healthy for the gamers and everything. Here's the problem, though. Our friendly local gaming stores are not the only game in town as far as selling our hobby stuff. As you all know, the internet has done a wonderful job of bringing us a bazillion different choices in who we buy our hobby products from. And that is potentially deadly to our friendly local gaming stores. These online stores can sell to literally anyone because they're in the business of shipping their product anywhere and they don't rely on local people nearby to buy their stuff from them unlike a brick-and-mortar store. Many of these online stores don't have any sort of shop front or anything like that, so they don't have any of those overheads like rent and whatnot. And nearly all these websites offer uh, serious discounts on products, you know, 20% or whatever, and a lot of them even offer, like, free shipping, flat rate shipping, things like that, especially if you deal with eBay or whatnot. So that's pretty hard to compete with if you're a mom and pop store. You know, you've you've got your rent and all these expenses and meanwhile all these people are not only undercutting you, but they don't have all the costs that you have. But you know what else else? Our hobby is very expensive. Now, I'll give you a moment to to recover. I know that was shocking, but so I guess you're asking what exactly are you getting at here? Well, a lot of the places online will offer, you know, 20% discount or whatever in free shipping. Meanwhile, your, your local store may not offer a discount. Well, that is an issue because if you are like me and have, you know, a gaggle of children and a wife and all of that, you have a lot of other things to pay for. And this is an expensive hobby. So I know a lot of people struggle with the idea of should you buy things from your local store and support where you play, or should you just do whatever's best for you and, uh, you know, buy online or get it wherever you can get it cheapest, period, and just screw the friendly local gaming store, I guess, right? Well, clearly, I think I've shown that I am on the side of the small business and the friendly local gaming store, but it is a really hard debate when your heart and your wallet are struggling, Hopefully, you can do everything in your power to, you know, support your local store, because that is really in your best interest if you're supporting your local store. Now, I know many players, um, some in our club, that don't spend any money at all in the store, and essentially they take up space, and they buy everything as cheap as possible online, and, you know, they, they kitbash a lot, and things like that, and you know, we could get into the whole proxy thing, but honestly, if you're going to proxy stuff, if you buy it from the local store, then whatever, you know, they're selling products still. But when it's you buy the cheapest proxy you can online, and then you want to play it in that store that you spend no money at, that's kind of a problem. As long as you're spending some money at your local store, then I don't have an issue with those type of players. But there's uh, you know, several that I've known in the years that spend exactly zero money at the store. 
And, you know, I'm not here to guilt anybody into spending money at the store. But on the other hand, dude, we have to support where we play or we won't have a place to play anymore. That's just the simple economics of it. Luckily for us, our local store is very nice to us and they always, you know, work out deals and help us and think of us and order things for us and all of that. So I don't have that issue now, but I did actually used to go to a store that offered no discount whatsoever. So how did I deal with that being that at the time I had, you know, many children and a wife and all of that? Well, it's really, really hard to walk away from free shipping and 20% off just in the name of, hey, I want to support my local store. But that is always what I did. And what the caveat was for me, at least this is my guidelines that I followed, is that if I bought anything that was less than $100, I would buy it from my friend, the local gaming store. Because, you know, I mean, $100 and up, you're saving at least $20. And that's, that's pretty significant. But, you know, 50 bucks is $10. I'll just essentially tip them the $10, you know, just whatever. I'm, I'm happy to play here and whatnot. But I am hoping that most people also think of something like that to do. You know, use these guidelines. Try to, you don't have to go all the way left or all the way right. You know, you can go in the middle road. You can do, spend when you can at the store and then don't when it's just not economical for you or whatever. But... I know a lot of people are not particularly sympathetic to stores and they they think and there's a this is a common misconception about all business. They look at any given business no matter what it is, whether it's a, you know, shoemaker if those things still exist or it's a chimney sweep if those things still exist or it's uh, I don't know, uh, a cow massager, I don't know, I don't know, just whatever. Just think of an industry. If they see a business, they instantly have a chip on their shoulder and they go, oh, well, that's a business. They're all rich. The owners are rich. And in these small mom and pop stores, a lot of these people are not rich. Matter of fact, I would say the vast majority of mom and pop store owners are not rich. So I think it's important for your community to have a place to play. For your community to have a place to attract new players and new blood, which is vital to any community. I think it's important that you make friends with your store owners and you make a connection with them, which you probably do automatically if you have a store. But there's some people that also kind of, you know, play by themselves at their homes and all that. And that's that's totally fine. I mean, the point is, is that if you are taking up space at a very regular basis at a game store, you should spend money at it. Honestly, that's what you should do. Now, if you never go to the gaming store, if you, you know, um, you're not near any gaming stores or you just have your clique of friends that you like to play with or whatever, then dude, follow your bliss, you know, buy your models wherever you feel like buying them and you will get the best deal from wherever because the internet is like that. But if you do take up space at a store, I really think you should support it. If you struggle with paying the extra 10% or the extra 20% or whatever, just think of how upset you will be if one day you walk up and the store doors are closed. And of course, this is no sort of threat. I'm not trying to guilt you into this. I'm just trying to give some people that may not have that perspective of business the better perspective of business. Because honestly, you know, rent is not cheap for these stores. 
So I'm hoping that um, at least one person might go, oh, you know what? I guess that's true. I never really thought of that. I just assume they're just rich people that own the store. And I've heard some people claim, oh, well, I'll just play at my house if my store closes because I'm not paying the extra money. Well, unfortunately, that is not super helpful for a community in general. Uh, if you have a couple friends that you like to play with, whatever, but if you ever plan on growing your group, you really do need a common place like a store. Matter of fact, when store number two closed and we were thinking about what to do, whether we should go to what would end up being store number three or whatever, I called around to local places, uh, libraries and fire halls and churches and things like that. Um, even the community uh, college nearby, because they all have kind of open spaces that you can meet. I called all these different places because I wanted to see, you know, do they charge us for setting up there or whatever, because suddenly store number two was closing and we had nowhere else to go. We debated on several different things, and we debated on, you know, some people were like, well, we could host it at one person's house each weekend or whatever, and we were talking about a group of probably six to eight players at that time. We're a little bigger now, but that just does not seem like it will work. And the problem is attrition. So attrition is similar to addition and subtraction. No, I'm just kidding. Attrition is, you know, people slowly fall out of the, the hobby, whether it be, you know, children or getting married or moving or a new job or whatever. So most people are not in the hobby for lifelong terms. You know, they'll go in and out for five years or 10 years or whatever, and they'll come back later or whatnot. So you naturally, on no fault of your own, will end up losing people from your gaming group. You'll get new people, they'll lose interest, or they'll move on, and they'll leave, and then some of your original people will leave, and then you'll get new people and whatnot. But you need that ebb and flow of new players and new blood into your group for your group to survive. Like, for instance, if we had just played at my house or someone else's house for all these years... Let me think about how big our group would be right now if we did not have that um, store number three and then followed by our current store, store number four. Um, we would have one, two, three, four, five. We would have five players is how many we would have. Currently, our group is probably 12, something like that. There's kind of like a reserve roster of people that come occasionally. But without a store or a place to meet and attract new people you don't have any influx of new people unless you have a bunch of strangers wandering around in your garage, which is weird. Don't do that. That's dangerous. It's just not recommended. So in conclusion for this, if your store doesn't offer any sort of competitive pricing compared to the internet, then I would suggest that you decide how much your store is worth to you and you should err on the side of it meaning more to you than you realize because a lot of people don't appreciate things until it's gone and then they go, oh crap, it's gone and now I miss it. But you should think about how much it means to you and just consider the extra 10% or 20% you pay on something to be insurance that you can play the following week. And that's that. I mean, it's... It's an investment in the community. It's a way to attract new players. It's a place that you can be friendly and feel welcome. And it's kind of like cheers. You know, you show up and I know at least I do. I show up every Wednesday to our local store and I talk to the owner and we hang out and have fun. And, you know, the guys that run it, Dom and Jason, they're, they're a lot of talk, fun to talk to. And, 
you know, it's just, it's this nice reunion of positivity and friendship every single week. I see these people every week. I like them. We laugh and joke. And, you know, it's just, it's a nice thing. And sometimes it's worth paying just a little bit more in order to support that entire community. I hope I did not ramble on because I realize I probably said that you should support your store along a lot of times and I don't get religious or political on this show and I hope no one took that as anything political or economic. It's just a simple fact. If you don't support a store, it will close. Period. Thanks for listening.